Well, hey everybody, it is the 18th of October and nearly seven months since most of us have seen each other. Thank you so much for continuing to join us online. Just a very quick reminder that if you are healthy enough and you feel up to it, we are thoroughly enjoying uh, connecting with one another with appropriate social distancing in person. So our services are the morning services only, so 9 a.m. and 10.30 if you do want to join us one Sunday, make sure you go onto the same website that you normally click on to get onto this particular platform. You'll see there's a little tab that you can click with select your seats. But right now we are in part three of a four-part series that we've simply titled Thrive. And we're asking the, the kind of overarching question of whether or not we are living in a way today. Am I living in a way today that will help me to thrive tomorrow. And so we're looking at the core values of our church, which is simply to love God, love people, pursue excellence, and choose joy. And truth be told, I think most churches would share similar core values. We may just use slightly different language, but, but these are the things that we are committed to where we are trying to grow in our love for God and our love for people, which we've already spoken about. And today we're going to talk about excellence, which I'll unpack in a moment. Next week, when we talk about joy, we're talking about our attitude uh, I would imagine that, that your average Christ follower would agree that these are great values that will ultimately form the culture that forms us. And so I'm saying to you that as a church, um, we really do want to be mindful of these things. Like these are almost like the vital signs that we want to be looking out for. And um, whether or not I'm truly growing in my own personal, intimate devotion to God. Am I enjoying God? Am I spending focused time with God? Am I uh, growing in my mindfulness of His presence and activity in my life. Last week we spoke about um, how we specially have responsibility to love one another. And sometimes it's easier to actually love people outside of the family of God than what it is to love people inside the family of God because we actually consciously or subconsciously have higher expectations of those inside the family. And so we looked especially at how we are charged and challenged with loving one another, being patient and being kind. And so today we're going to take a look at excellence and my very simple definition, this is excellence as per the dictionary of Jason Render, is simply this. Excellence is doing the best I can with what I have in the context of my responsibilities. Excellence is simply doing the best that I can with what I have, so not with what I don't have, not with what somebody else has, but with what I have and in the context of my various responsibilities. And the reason for that definition is because I think sometimes we, we make a few uh, mistakes. One of them could be perfectionism, which, which will break us and burn us out. But another one is that um, when we are pursuing uh, perfection or the very, very best, like giving 100% in one area, well, then that means that invariably we're giving 0% to the other areas of our lives that really matter. And so I really do believe that God calls us to put in our best effort, but in the context of the various responsibilities. So if you're at school, then you have a responsibility to be excellent, to be putting in your best effort at school, as well as at home, in relationships, uh, the way that we look after our bodies, um, our finances. Like, like there are it'd be great if we only had one area to give our all to, but actually God has called us to be um, people that are engaged in quite a few different areas. Of our lives. Another one uh, that I think can sometimes be a little bit of a misconception, especially in church, actually, interestingly enough, is that people can sometimes misunderstand the, the role of grace and think that, that, that the grace of God in the 21st century means that pretty much just anything will do. As long as, you know, we're doing it for God or we're doing it for free, so 
you know, like we should just be grateful that we're putting some kind of, uh, like giving any kind of effort. And I, I want to just encourage you for a moment that I think that God really does care about whether or not we put effort in. So that's why when we talk about excellence, we're not talking about getting it perfect. We're talking about putting in our best effort when we're taking everything else into account. And I love this one quote by Dallas Willard where he says that uh, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace doesn't say that we don't do our best, that we don't uh, try hard to be diligent and faithful uh, with those things that God has put into our hand. Rather, what, what grace does is it says that those efforts cannot earn God's love. It cannot earn salvation. So grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. But I would argue that when we embrace grace, so when we have actually been affected by grace, when your heart has been melted by grace, I think we almost can't help but want to give our best back to God, pretty much in every area. So, so my, my marriage has been affected. I've been motivated to put an effort in because of the grace that I feel that God has given to me. My, my, my effort as a father, my effort as, as, as an employer and an employee, as a leader and as a, and as a servant and, and, and as someone who's working under other leaders, that has often been deeply influenced by the fact that I have received so much grace, that, I've, that God has given me so much for free, that it can't, I can't help but actually be motivated to wanting to be a good steward of what it is that God has put into my hands. And perhaps one of the, the best uh, parables and stories that I can think of in the New Testament that, that addresses this idea, this responsibility of us actually having to, to be quite intentional with our levels of stewardship, with our levels of excellence or faithfulness. You can use all these words interchangeably. It's found in the book of Matthew. It's the first of the biographical stories of the life of Jesus. Um, there are four of these stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And Matthew, one of Jesus' earlier uh, followers, uh, basically gave this account of Jesus' life. And so he is quoting one of the stories that Jesus shared publicly. And I'm reading from verse 14. So this is Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And it says that the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So basically Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you want to be a part of the kingdom, so we don't just accept forgiveness. We also choose to follow. It's, it's the two sides of this coin. We accept forgiveness for free, but we also choose to follow. And the moment we start following Jesus, we actually enter into the kingdom of of heaven. Yes, the side of eternity, but we are already functioning in the kingdom of heaven if you have chosen to accept forgiveness and follow Jesus. And so he says that this is a story that can illustrate what, what this life should look like. And it's quite a challenging story. It says that, that this man that went on a long trip called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, I can only imagine that Jesus is using the example of money because most people would place most of their value on their money. When you talk about somebody's valuables, you know, he, he lost his valuables or, or he's left his valuables with a friend. It's interesting that we almost instinctively know that we're talking about material things. Isn't it funny that that's what we think of as being our valuables as opposed to, you know, I've entrusted my kids with someone or I've entrusted my soul to someone and I've asked them to actually have my back and to give me, you know, feedback and perspective. So anyway, I think Jesus knew the heart of man 
And he knew <laughs> that money meant a lot and that people would understand, whoa, this guy is entrusting his wealth, his money, to, in this case, the three servants. So in the New Living Translation, this parable, there's like a little heading above it that says, um, the parable of the three servants. If you're reading one of the older translations, it probably says the parable of the talent. So he's entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Verse 15 says that he gave five bags of silver to one. So this is important that we notice that he's given, that he's entrusted different amounts to different people. It's not unfair, everybody. This, is, this, 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 is, this master represents God and he knows what can be entrusted to whom. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, and this is really, really important, in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So the kingdom of heaven is like a master who goes on a long trip and he entrusts his valuables, he entrusts his wealth, his material items to these three servants in proportion to their abilities. And then he leaves on his trip. Verse 16 says that the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest, invest the money and earned five more. In, in, I think it's in the New International Version, it says that he went to work immediately. Like he was honored, he was diligent, he was faithful, and he managed to double it. Then verse 17 says that the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. We get the impression that they both put in an equal amount of effort. They, they, may, have an, they may not have an equal uh, result for their effort because the one's got five bags of silver while the other has two, but they both put in an equal amount of effort. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. And I can't help but think that there are many, many Christians, and I'm, and I'm talking now purely of Christians. I'm not talking about people that are not yet in the family. I'm talking about people that are, that, are, that are supposedly in the kingdom. I can't help feeling that there are many people that are in the kingdom that are, that are burying their gifts. They're burying what has been entrusted to them and where we're not actually being good stewards. And, and I'm not just talking about your, your skills and abilities. I'm talking about your responsibilities to friends, to the community, to your family, at work, at school, are we actually seeing these as temporary entrustments to us? And are we treating them with the appropriate value? Are we putting in excellence in the appropriate areas of our lives or do we just dig a hole and bury it? So three, three very quick key ideas. There's so much that we can take out of this passage, but, but three that I want to point out to you today. Number one is that we have all been entrusted with responsibility in proportion to our abilities. We've all been entrusted, whether you like it or not. You may say, rubbish, no one's, look, no one's given me anything. I've got no gifts, I've got no talents, I've got no influence. I'm telling you <laughs> that if you're breathing and if you're in a relationship with God, you have been entrusted with responsibility in proportion to your ability. And we have a responsibility to be good stewards. The word steward simply means to manage, to actually manage that responsibility well, to manage it diligently. In verse 15, it goes on to say that he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to the other, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. 
and we might feel like this isn't fair, I want to encourage you that God's not unfair. Like, like God is not unjust. We have literally been created with different capacities. You might get frustrated thinking, you know, that, that other people seem to have such an incredible emotional capacity. They seem to be able to cope with stress and, and drama and demands, and they can just go from, from one responsibility to the next to the next. And so you might feel like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so weak? And, and it may be a maturity issue, but it may also be that God has created you with a certain emotional capacity. Some people are energized by socializing, and so they have a greater capacity to interact with people. Someone else might be more introverted, and God has created you to be, to be energized a little bit more on the private, personal side. And chances are you're someone that's going to maybe think a little bit more deeply than others and process things more deeply and, and work things out systematically and be able to actually bring meaning and beauty. Most creative, I would, I would imagine that most creative people need time alone to just, to just be, to process, to, to create space, to, to be able to actually create beauty. Um, like, it's okay. God has given us different responsibilities according to our ability. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, very, very encouraging and I think challenging passage of Scripture says that God has given each of you. So this is speaking again to Christians. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So there's a variety. He hasn't given you all of them. He's given you one or some of them from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. So we have a responsibility to steward these gifts well. Use them well to serve one another. Ephesians 2 verse 10, maybe one of the passages that I quote almost more than any other, says that we are his workmanship. Again, speaking of Christians, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there is a purpose which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love the way that the ESV puts that, that passage, that, that we are actually to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. I, I cannot encourage you enough that we have all been entrusted with responsibility in proportion to our abilities. Don't compete. Don't compare. Don't look at what you think somebody else has. The big challenge is for us to actually sit back, to step back from time to time and say, God, what have you put into my hands? The, help me to better understand the personality that you've given me so that I can steward that well. God, help me to see the skills and the talents and the ability and the passions and the burdens, the, the things that bother me, the, the things that distract me. God, help me to see where you have actually put responsibility into my hand and help me to be a good steward of that. Each week we're asking a key question and we're encouraging you towards a, a key practice. The question for this week is simply this. What has God entrusted to you? What has God entrusted to you? Not what do you wish he'd entrusted to you. <laughs> not, not what do you envy of what he has entrusted in others. No, no. What has God entrusted to you? to you because he's given us stuff he has i just think the challenge is that so often we are either too distracted so we're too busy or we're discouraged or insecure or we don't know our identity in god and so way too often even in a christian context even in a church context way too often we're trying to to adapt ourselves to what we think looks like the best 
you know, picture of, of what we should be or what a good Christian should be. And, and I've got to just say, in part, that's okay, because especially if you're a brand new Christian, I think it's important to, to press into someone that can just be a good example for you and that can mentor you. But if they're healthy, they're going to help you to also un, unravel some of, the, some of the layers in your life to, to help you see who God's actually made you to be. So there's, there, there's an element to which it's good to follow others as they follow Christ. But I also think that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more mature you become, the more secure you become, and the more with humility that you realize who God's made you to be, you, you, you can recognize the things that God has put into your hands, and you actually feel a healthy sense of responsibility in stewarding that well. So in terms of the practice, and again, this isn't all that tangible. This is maybe a little bit more philosophical. If the question is, what has God entrusted to you? The practice that I want to encourage you to is simply to commit to stewarding as opposed to striving or slacking. Commit to stewarding as opposed to striving or slacking. And the reason I'm saying that is because, again, there's this responsibility to steward what God has put into hands. Striving is when I feel like I have to prove myself and I'm trying to overcome insecurity um, uh, and, and a lack of identity, and I'm trying to compete and compare. And slacking is when I just go the whole other extreme where I'm like, ugh, you know, God loves me anyway, it's all good. Let's just, you know, chill out, be happy until we die one day. I, I will see in a moment that God doesn't actually celebrate <laughs> that kind of attitude. So commit to stewarding as opposed to striving or slacking. Number two is that we will give an account. We will give and account for the lives that we lived. In fact, one day as we cross you know, from this life into the next, one day we're going to stand before Jesus, the one who, who's actually purchased our freedom, who's, who's purchased the, the, the gift to wash us clean of our sins and offered So it cost him everything. It's free, but it wasn't cheap. He, it cost him everything. And we can accept it freely. We're going to stand before him. So we don't, we don't get to try and make our case in front of anyone else. No, no, we're going, to, we're going to stand before him one day and we're going to pretty much answer two questions. What did we do with Jesus? So what did we do with the gift that he gave us when he died for us on the cross? And secondly, what did we do with our lives? What did I do with Jesus? And what did I do with my life in response to trying to live for him and follow him? And please him. We will give an account. Verse 19 in Matthew 25 goes on to say that after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. This is almost a little bit counterintuitive to a 2020 mindset, I think, at least in a Western context, where, where I think we hate that. I mean, we like the idea of accountability for other people, you know, for politicians and, and people in power, sure. But, but we really don't like, I think our human nature pushes back against actually having to give an account um, for our own actions and our choices and our behavior. You know, it's like, just you be you, I'll be me. Who do you think you are trying to judge me? Well, you don't have to like it. I'm just telling you that one day <laughs> you're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. And I'm actually going to give an account for how I have used the one life, the one and only life that is filled with, with certain gifts and limitations, certain strengths and weaknesses. How have I used that this side of eternity? Verse 20 tells us that the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver 
came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. Again, the parallel for us is that we're going to stand before him and give an account for the way we've used our opportunities, responsibilities, our, our education, our privilege even. So some of us have been more privileged than others and you can either respond you know, uh, with guilt or with grateful stewardship. Either with guilt or with gratitude. Gratitude that moves into, I've got a responsibility to steward these privileges and opportunities well. What have I done with my opportunities at work, uh, in ministry? Um, there are some of you, many of you, in fact, that, that are involved in, in service around the church, through the church, outside of the church. And that's because God has gifted and created and called us to that. We're going to give an account for that. Verse 21 says that the master was full of praise for the servant that brought back five more. So he doubled what had been entrusted to him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Maybe you've heard that statement used before. Like this is where it comes from. This passage in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the handling of this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate together. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's, it stood out to me when preparing this message. That, that Jesus actually uses the phrase, a small amount. For anyone looking in, you say, whoa, 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 hold on. This guy's got five times as much. He's been entrusted with five times as much as the guy that's only got one bag of silver. And you'll see in a moment that the guy with two bags of silver, uh, he was also faithful and he doubled that. So he also brought back two bags. And Jesus says the same thing, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a small amount. So I don't know about you, but if I was, you know, I'm thinking, Shane, what about the guy with the one bag? Like, if that's small, then this must be nothing. But I honestly think that in perspective or, or relative to your actual potential, I think that what God first entrusts you with, please don't miss this. If you've gotten distracted, if you're checking WhatsApps and other things, just, just come back for a moment. Switch off social media. Forget about the dog running past. Please, please, please hear me. If you hear nothing else I'm saying today, hear this. No matter who you are, however gifted you are, whatever God first entrusts to you, even if other people think it's massive, that's incredible. How could God trust him with that? Whatever God first entrusts to you is small in comparison to what God wants to entrust to you. So what an exciting invitation. What an, what, what an incredible opportunity to be faithful with whatever God has given you because in comparison to what God wants to do in you and through you, it is a small amount. And that's why you can never compare and compete. If you're someone that God has given five bags of silver to, so five talents, well, then you'd be a fool, if I can be blunt, to compare yourself to where God has given one bag of silver to somebody else. No, no. For you, that's, God knows that you can handle that. Don't think, well, yeah, I'm five times better. You're not. God is looking at your ability and he's, and he's challenging us to be good stewards of that. 
Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've carried, sorry, I've earned two more. The master said, again, same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. In fact, in the New International Version, that phrase is this, come and share your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but I'd like to... Like, I, I kind of, it's weird, but I like the idea that I can actually make the master happy. Isn't it quite something to think that, that our faithfulness, that our stewardship, so our excellence, us putting in our best effort according to our responsibilities and based on what we have available to us, that us being good stewards of that can actually bring God joy. I, I like that a lot. I love that. Last point, number Three, faithfulness requires risk. Faithfulness requires risk. I believe it's impossible for us to actually grow uh, and stretch and take, you know, steps into our destiny and God's purposes and the potential that He's given to us and putting on a bigger jacket. And, and if you're a leader growing into a bigger leader, if you're a servant growing into a, a, a more diligent, responsible, reliable servant, if you've got a gift of hospitality, being able to host people even better and at an, and at an increased level. There's no way for us to grow. There is no, in my opinion, there is no way for us to grow apart from risk. There's always going to be risk involved. And we see that this, that this alone, just simply this idea of risk, this fear is what led to ultimate failure for this third servant. And I, I tend to believe that God would actually rather us fail trying than giving to fear and not risk and not trying. Take a look at verse 24. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said to the master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now, let me just quickly stop there and say that's not true. That's not actually the nature of God. So I think that this is what the servant thought of God, which also goes to show that how we respond to responsibilities and opportunities says a lot about our view of God. Do we view God as this angry, uh, you know, kind of like Greek type God who's just looking to strike us the moment we step wrong? Because then there's going to be nothing but fear and panic and we're going to worry about failing. Or do we see him as a Father Christmas or a fairy godmother type of God who just, you know, sprinkles fairy, you know, lots of grace fairy dust? Or do we see him as a, as, as a, as a father who also happens to be our master, who also happens to have a plan for the world and loves people and wants to reach people and wants to use us and, 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 he's more, and, and he's actually more excited about having people that are willing to try and fail than people that are not willing to trust him enough to even try at all. Our view of God will determine whether or not we are willing to risk. So whether or not we're willing to take a faith step and potentially fail or whether we're going to give in to fear and just hold back. So he says, verse 25, that I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. I hid it in the earth. And I can't shake this burden that there are so many Christians that hide the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that God has given us. Where we just bury it. We dig a hole and we bury it. And so he says, look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, it's quite harsh. It's, it's actually strong. He says, you, your unwillingness to even try, your unwillingness to risk, 
is actually because you're wicked and you're lazy. If you knew, or again, maybe a scholars would say, if, if maybe this guy, the language is better saying, if you thought that that's who I was, if you thought that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Or the, the message version simply puts that passage this way. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? Like, why didn't you at least just try? Why didn't you try anything, something, anything? You wicked and lazy servant. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. So even more will be trusted to people that are diligent with what they do have. And they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to get into too much of the detail around that and, and form too much theology. I, I think that the parable is clear, though. God actually entrusts us with various opportunities, with gifts, with skills, with potential, with, with relationships, with money, with, with careers, with influence, with school. And I really think that how diligent we are there, so the kind of steward, so if you're a student, then the kind of diligence with which you approach your studies will determine the degree that God will entrust you with more opportunity and with more responsibility. And by the way, more opportunity always equals more responsibility. Or you could say more responsibility always equals more opportunity. So it's up to you. Do you want to stay the same for the rest of your life? Or do you want to actually grow in your faithfulness, in your diligence, and in your excellence? Bearing in mind that excellence is me doing the best that I can with what I have, not with what I don't, but with what I have, based on the other responsibilities that I have. And can you imagine, can you imagine if Christians, if, if increasingly a larger number of Christians were committed to excellence at work, at school, in their homes, in traffic, <laughs> um, in the way we handle our money, in the way that we follow the law, in the way that we look to serve you know, in our community. Can you imagine if, if, if it was part of our core values, if it was, if it was part of our habit, you know, if it, was, if it was part of our values that lead to our habits, that lead to our culture, that forms our lives. Can you imagine the kind of example that that would be, the kind of testimony that, is it possible that Christians would be like little beacons of, of light all over the place that are there who are, completely reliable and when they make mistakes they own it they don't lie about it they don't cover up they they own it they're reliable dependable honest function with integrity um humble uh willing to deal with issues when they need to be dealt with willing to carry responsibility instead of just constantly shirking responsibility because or because maybe in some cases we are lazy or we are intimidated and again you know there have been times in my life where, where I have felt like I've got to take on more responsibility and I've sensed God reminding me of that passage in Timothy where it says that God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity so when I feel fearful I've got to often remind myself no no the Bible tells me that he's not given me a spirit of fear or timidity or insecurity but love power and a sound mind can you imagine 
if increasingly we as individuals and as a church and if the church of Jesus Christ were to continue to grow in our spirit of excellence, in doing our best, in, in being good stewards as opposed to striving insecurely or, or just slacking off because we're apathetic, what a difference we would make and how much more God would be able to entrust to us. Come on, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you actually choose to invite us into your adventure. Lord, I don't think any of us can actually begin to imagine the potential that exists when we put our hand in yours and when we're willing to take risks. And God, I pray that, that, that even in this moment, Lord, that, that as you might be pointing things out to some of us and where the, the instinct of the first response might be one of fear and, 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 and shirking and, and pulling back or, or hiding, God, that you would, that you would encourage us to, to genuinely try and fan into flame our faith more than our fear, God, that we would try and quench that fear and that we would do it anyway. That God, if we have any sense that it could be you, that we would actually do it afraid, that we would do it scared, knowing that that's probably the only way that we're actually going to be stretched. God, please help us not to make excuses when you're actually calling us to something. Help us to sense when it's you. Help us to know when it's your voice, when it's your prompting, when you're leading us. God, help us to keep saying Yes, help us to be like those first two students that were, uh, those first two servants that were faithful and diligent, that we would hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, please. And Father, for people that are making a decision today to actually begin this relationship with you, to say yes to forgiveness and to commit to trying to follow you one step at a time, one day at a time, God, would you please help them to know that they are forgiven that they are free, that they are a new person, and that they are beginning this journey with you. God, would you give them patience and grace as they trust you one step at a time, one decision at a time, please. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.